Hey, what up? This is Shegs from Shegs and Stuff, and this is part five of a blog series through the Old Testament book of Esther. Today's blog post is titled, When Divine Intervention Kisses Human Initiative. Hey, so we're in chapter five of the book of Esther, but before we get to that, I'll tell you a little bit about me. I am by nature a, a starter, right? Like at the present time, I got about two or three projects simultaneously being prepped for publishing or, or production. And at the same time, like I'm heading up two committees that have been established to reach two separate people groups in our region. And then later on this fall, I'm, I'm my, my plate is starting to fill up because I'm going to be hosting a, a conference along with launching a church-wide prayer and fasting initiative. So that's kind of who I am. I'm always about, just, I'm on the go, right? And and I don't tell you any of that to brag about myself, but to point out the balance that I'm still trying to find between a healthy ambition for success and a patient aligning in my life with God's timing. And I say that because, man, I've had experiences where I preempted God and I rushed ahead of God into a project where I thought he was leading only to just land flat on my face. Yet at the same time, I've also put myself in frustrating situations where I failed to plan and act because I, I thought God was going to show up in a burning bush to tell me what to do. And you might actually have experienced a similar struggle if you've ever wrestle, wrestled with the question of, of how long should I pray for something before I actually start acting on it, right? It's the question of at what juncture does divine intervention intersect with human initiative? And it's this question that this fifth blog post in our series through the Old Testament book of Esther is attempting to address. It's what I'm going to try and address today because Esther and Mordecai in chapter four, or really in chapter four, along with every Jew in the city, are facing a grave predicament in, in the Persian Empire. So thus far, Haman, who is a highly influential and powerful royal official is plotting the genocide of, of the Jews. Now, even though Esther is a queen, approaching her husband, King Xerxes, to beg for pardon presents an even greater danger because palace pro protocol dictates that anyone who enters the king's presence uninvited could instantly be executed. So, so Esther is essentially called for a national fast among the Jews. And, and it's in this narrative that we start to discover our role in seeking God's help and his role in meeting us in our time of need. Even though the name of God is never mentioned and, and God never actually shows up in the book of Esther, we can't help but notice a flurry of activities in the unseen heavenly realms as God orchestrates human events or human efforts to set the stage for a mighty move of his Hand. So that, that's where we're going to go today. We're in Esther chapter 5. Of the, we're going to look at four lessons. I'm going to pull out of this chapter for us today. Of the first two lessons, focus on the human initiative in the human initiative aspect in prayer and fasting. And the last two lessons will focus on the divine intervention aspect of what happens when we pray and fast. So, so let's jump right into it, okay? In fact, let me just start off by giving you the, the first lesson, which is this. Um, whenever you're faced with opposition or, or just something that's challenging you, steer your fear into an action plan. 
In fact, that's what we start to see happen in Esther chapter 5. Now, three days earlier in Esther chapter 4, verse 10 to 11, when we met Esther, she was afraid and gravely concerned that that she might be put to death if she broke palace protocol to to, to approach the king like her cousin Mordecai had requested. Now, in Esther chapter 5, verse 1, that was still very much the situation that morning when she's dressing up to go approach the king. In other words, in Esther chapter 5, verse 1, The threat of being executed in case her husband was in a bad mood was still very much a real and present danger. Now, during those three days of prayer and fasting, however, Esther was not idle. I mean, this girl was busy working on a plan in spite of her fear. I mean, I mean, think about how much space, how much faith in God this must have involved. We know from a few verses later on in the, in, the, in Esther chapter 5 that, that she's actually planning to invite King Xerxes and Haman to a party where she's going to make her request known. But she also knows that Xerxes is very fond of, of parties based on chapter 1 that we know he threw a huge party. So imagine all the planning that would have gone into preparing a party worthy of a king during that three-day period. I mean, think about it. Esther could have chosen to simply remain in her chambers and and, and simply just pray until God thundered from heaven and changed Xerxes' mind. But rather, she chose by faith to act on what she believed God would do. She understood that victory would come at the intersection of human preparation and God's providence. I was thinking about this, and and I thought the story was relevant because I recently met with a young girl whom I would describe as, man, just on fire for the Lord. Like, like she has a passion and a clear vision to build a discipleship program for a group of kids she has served with overseas. But due to a power struggle within the organization that she serves with, her efforts are just being stifled. And so she's feeling discouraged. And so she came to my office to ask for some advice. And I essentially counseled her to do what Esther did. Like, like I told her, I said, listen, set aside three days to fast and pray for an open door. Because that's kind of what God does. He does things that he opens doors we can't open when we fast and pray. But at the same time, I also counseled her to begin drafting out on paper the details of what her discipleship program would look like. And my reasoning for her was that, listen, God's blessings, at least from our perspective, God's blessings are sometimes sudden. So if and when that opportunity she was hoping for would suddenly land on her table, man, she needed to have something concrete, like like a completed first draft of her curriculum to present so she could hit the ground running. And this is exactly what we find Esther doing like like the space between chapter 4 and chapter 5 there has been a citywide really a nationwide prayer and fast backing her up so so after 3 days of spiritual and mental preparation man she, she has turned her fear into a plan she she hasn't just shown up casually in lingerie to entice the king instead she's dressed for success in what will be considered the power suit of her day and get this she she is no doubt still very much fearful for her life but she's chosen to press ahead anyway and her first courageous move is to show up in front of the king's palace in her stately regalia as the queen of the persian empire now make make no mistake about it that outfit was part of Esther's strategy because it communicated to the king that she was important and had something important to say. You know, I mean, I, I guess if you're going to get your head chopped off, you might as well do it in style, right? And my point is actually quite simple. It's this. 
You have to get moving on what you believe God will do in your life. Like divine intervention often awaits human initiative. It's not like God needs us to, to move, but time and time again in the scriptures, we find that he chooses to use people who are already on the move. And so this presents a, a challenging question for you and I, and it's this. Might there be a promise of God that you're, tr might there be a promise that you're trusting God for of which God himself would say, what are you doing to prepare yourself to receive this blessing? What have you gone about? What have you, what have you started doing to prepare yourself for it? Suffice it to say, when, when Esther presents herself before the king, in light of the fact that a whole nation had been praying and fasting for her, God's favor and God's grace had already preceded her. And here's how it happens. So now let's actually read Esther chapter 5, verse 2 to 3. It says, when he, that's King Xerxes, saw Esther standing in the court, right? This is where he might decide she's going to be killed or stay alive. Here's what he says. Here's what it says. It says, king, the king uh, Xerxes was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. And so Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Verse 3, Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it'll be given to you. And Esther says, If it pleases the king, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet that I have prepared for him. And so the king says, Bring Haman at once, so that we may do what Esther has asked. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. Verse 6. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Now what is your petition? It'll be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it'll be granted. And Esther replied, My petition and request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet that I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. So this brings me to lesson number two, and it's this. Be attentive to divine open opportunities. So these first two lessons so far are sort of the human initiative part, right? Um, um, be attentive to, to divine open opportunities. Now, the first question that popped in my mind when I read those words I just read from verse 2 to 6 is the question, um, why in the world would Esther invite Haman to this party? Like, wouldn't it have made more sense to get some alone time with her sweetie pie, right, with the king? And the second question to follow that was, why host two parties? Like, why not just get it all at once at the first gig? Well, after several readings of this story, I am convinced that though Esther had a game plan for how to approach her husband, man, ultimately, she was also being led by the Holy Spirit every step of the way. Now, concerning her invitation to, to Haman, it's very possible that, that she had every intention of exposing Haman's sinister plot during that first party, but, but as the evening went along, she discerned through the Holy Spirit that the king and Haman were a lot more chummy than she realized. The Holy Spirit may have even used that first party to give Esther some insight into Haman's, Haman's, um, Haman's attitude around the king so that she could determine the best way in approaching him or bringing up her concerns. Whatever the actual case may have been, you can't help but pit a cup on the fact that Esther is watching and waiting for something. 
And I believe she was waiting and watching and following the leading of the Holy Spirit to discern how best to approach the king. The Bible says that the, uh, concerning the Holy Spirit's leading and direction and opening doors, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the heart of every Christian in the moment that they trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, what many Christians often fail to realize is that the Holy Spirit living in us is not a roommate. The Holy Spirit moved into our lives as Lord. Listen to what Jesus himself says about the Holy Spirit living in you. He says, when the Spirit of, in John chapter 16, verse 13 to 15, Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. And he will tell you about the future. He will bring glory by he will bring me glory. I'm sorry, he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Now the point I'm trying to get at by reading that passage is this that the that the Holy Spirit wants to make God's will known to you in every and any circumstance you find yourself in. He wants to make his will known. The Holy Spirit is not a mute counselor. He is a loving, relational God. So even in your best laid plans, listen, there are things that the Holy Spirit knows that you don't know that he wants to make known to you. Sort of like when the best time is to talk to your irrational king husband about his best friend who wants to kill your family like Mordecai and, and uh, I'm sorry, like Haman and, and Xerxes. The Holy Spirit creates open opportunities for us through the course of our day each day. The question is, are we paying attention to him? You see, if we're honest, the reason that many of us don't really hear from God and don't feel filled by or led by the Holy Spirit is that our lives are just too noisy. I mean, think about it. From the moment we wake up, we, we turn on our mobile devices to get the latest updates on social media. Then then after that, we turn on the news or, or music while we're getting ready for work. Then we get in our cars and we listen to more radio to hear about what's going on in the world. While we're at work, we're dealing with data and conversations all day, along with social media updates at the top of every hour. And then at the end of the day, on our way home, we listen to more radio. We get home, we listen to, we read more social media, more TV shows, more Netflix, and more late night news. And then we wonder why it is we can't hear from God. Hear me on this. When you begin to quiet things around you, you will begin to hear the Holy Spirit of God within you. I think it's for good reason that Jesus Christ often woke up early to meet with the Father in prayer. It was the only time he can get away from the noisy crowds, most of whom just really wanted a great show or some free fish burgers. And so for you, the first step to hearing the sweet voice of the Holy Spirit and the first step to, to discerning those open doors of opportunity may very well be to unplug from whatever it is you're constantly connected to for a few days, maybe even a few weeks. Esther is in tune with the Holy Spirit's leading because she, along with Mordecai and every Jew in the city of Susa, have turned off the noise to seek God's divine intervention in prayer and fasting. This then brings us, so the first two points were about human initiative. This second two I'm going to talk about, these next two lessons really bring us to the God part of the narrative where we see his silent hand orchestrating events and setting the stage for the deliverance of the Jews. So actually it all starts with Haman right after that 
party that Hester hosted, that first party. So Haman is heading home, um, and and right outside the king's gate, however, he, he runs into the man that he hates the most, right? He runs into Mordecai. And so here's what happens according to Esther chapter 5, verse 9 to 10. It says, Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gates and observed that Mordecai neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, Haman was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. You know what I find most interesting here? It's not even the fact that Haman is seething, but it's actually Mordecai's confidence. Like, shouldn't Mordecai be terrified of Haman? You know what this tells me about what happens when we pray and fast? This actually brings me to lesson number three, and it's this. When we seek and pray and fast, man, God fills us with confidence to rely solely on him. And, and that's exactly what we see with Mordecai. Like, like, do you recall Mordecai's emotional state the last time we met him? Like, like the guy was in, in chapter 4, he was in fear and trepidation expressed as mourning and sorrow. I mean, he was so broken that he was actually dressed in sackcloth and ashes, which actually kept him from being able to go anywhere near the king's palace. But after three days of pressing in and seeking God in fasting and prayer, man, God has God has clearly intervened and strengthened him with a new confidence. And the first indicator of this is the fact that he can actually return to the king's gate, which is more than likely his office, because he's in a new set of clothes. Like, like think about just even the changing of outfit for a minute. For a minute, the edict to annihilate the Jews has not changed. Xerxes has not changed his mind, hasn't changed his mind. Death still looms on the horizon for the Jews. Yet Mordecai has taken off his mourning clothes, right? His sorrow clothes. And, and now he's back at work as if nothing ever happened. He's in new clothes. Secondly, he, he shows zero fear when he stands in the presence of the second most powerful man in the Persian kingdom. The same man who, by the way, wrote the edict to kill all the Jews. So clearly something has changed. And it's apparent to us that in light of a whole city of Jews fasting and prayer, praying, we, we can rightly assume that the Holy Spirit has intervened, has filled Mordecai to overflowing with a new heavenly confidence. Mordecai suddenly believes that God's got this. And furthermore, he, he's expecting something to change dramatically soon because he now believes the truth that Romans 8.31 tells us where it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Look, like Mordecai is able to stand and, 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 and not be afraid in the presence of Haman because of promises like, like the one God himself makes in Isaiah 54, 17, where God says, No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. And this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. And Mordecai is, as I'm encouraging you to, Mordecai is holding on to this truth, and so he's not afraid. So I ask you the question, what is it that you're facing that has you cowering in fear? First of all, whatever it is, understand that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. Secondly, by calling on God's name through prayer and fasting, he not only steps in to avenge his own cause on your behalf, but also strengthens you to stay 
the course. So that's lesson number three, man. It's that God fills you with confidence. Lesson number four is this, and I love this. This really hit me, and it's this, that, that when you seek God through prayer and fasting, man, God confuses the counsel of your haters. God confuses the counsel of your haters. Let, let me walk you through this. So, so Haman um, has nursed an unhealthy preoccupation uh, uh, for Mordecai that has actually become murderous, right? So he has clearly reached a point of no return as his actions in the rest of Esther chapter 5 suggest. Like, like after restraining himself from exploding on Mordecai in the king's palace because Mordecai won't stand up, um, he makes his way home in chapter 5 and throws another party. Like, like, like You're like, really, dude? But, but he gets to his party at home. He invites his wife and his friends and spends the whole evening bragging about his wealth and his great influence. But at some point... Even perhaps maybe to shut them up, um, or, or maybe because they share the same evil sentiments, um, his wife and his friends suggest to him that he should set up um, a sharpened pole that's 75 feet tall and in the morning ask the king to in, impale Mordecai on it and so that afterwards he can go on his merry way to the second party that the king and Esther invited him to. I mean, this guy's just lost it, right? This guy's morbid, right? Now, I, I'm going to resist the urge here to give you a lecture on choosing wise friends um, who don't suggest murder as a way of getting even. But instead, I want to focus on what's really happening behind the scenes at Haman's party. Now, fair warning, this is a spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you what happens later on. But but you should know this, and here's what you need to know for the story. Um, that Mordecai and his sons are actually going to end up being the very ones impaled on those 75 feet tall poles that he set up in his yard. And we'll get to that story um, in two weeks. But for now, man, you can't help but note the irony that Haman's downfall and death would come from the very council of people that he gathered around himself to blow up his ego. Like their advice is the very thing that ends up killing him. And I believe this is this is one of the and we'll get to that story in the coming weeks, but 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 I believe that this is one of the reasons why the scriptures urge you and I to leave plenty of room for God to fight our battles. Like like when God says vengeance is mine, it means that he fights in covert ways that you and I can't even fathom. And so let him fight. And in the coming weeks, man, we will watch as Esther finally makes her request known to her husband and how Haman foolishly places himself in a compromising situation at that exact moment, all of which will lead to him being impaled on the very pole that he built for Mordecai. In the words of Pastor Stephen Furtick, I love this. He says, though your enemies surround you, know this, your God surrounds your enemies. Man, I love that. And so as we wrap this up, man, listen, God, God moves in extraordinarily profound ways when we take initiative in preparing ourselves through prayer and fasting. God chooses to use our prayer-filled readiness and prayerful preparation to accomplish the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. So, so really, as we wrap this up, man, what do you need to get moving on today? Like, like, like what is it you're trusting God for of which God would say, how are you getting ready for that? And on the same end, um, same token, what do you need to commit fully to God through prayer and fasting? Listen, whatever it is, would you allow me to pray for you as I wrap up this blog post? And so I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ 
that God even this week would give you wisdom and understanding and discernment to know when to get moving and when to run and, and, and when to just sit still and pray and trust him. I ask that the Holy Spirit of God will give you the courage and the boldness to, to, to step into the promises he's allotted to you. That he would give you full courage to, to press into him. He would give you the perseverance to seek him through prayer and fasting where you abstain from food for the purpose to seek him. And as you trust God for the promises you're believing him for, I ask in Jesus' name that God would show up in mighty ways to bless the work of your hands for your good and for God's glory. So may the peace of God and may the strength of God and may the wisdom of God guide you, keep you, protect you, and lead you this week. And may God beautifully reveal to you how to discern that healthy balance between divine intervention and human initiative. So I want to thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Please, um, I invite you to share this blog post online uh, with your friends on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, so have a great week. God bless you. Thanks for listening.